Hello and welcome to another week's recording on the podcast series Speak Africa, which we debuted a while back. And I want to start off the show by first and foremost expressing my delight and surprise at the reception that the podcast has gotten. Uh, for those who listened in from the UK, from Nigeria and other parts, this definitely means a lot. I didn't see this coming. My name is Babachindi Oklola, your host on this uh, podcast series. And again, for those who are just listening in for the very first time, this is a podcast series that focuses on the continent Africa. Of course, it is important that we start off and have these conversations about the continent because we realize at the end of the day, whether you're an African of the soil or of the blood, that sometimes there's so little we know about ourselves. And also considering the fact that Africa is somehow lumped up to one whole dish and whereas it is a salad where you have different ingredients that ought to be treated separately. I did promise you that from time to time would bring in the expert to weigh in and to find out questions and answers. So many questions arise when it comes to Africa's as a continent, its relations with the rest of the world, international relations as it's practiced, its system of government advocated for it and are passed across by so many experts. We're talking about democracies. How does it all work, especially when it comes to policies that holds it together? When it comes to conversations like this, I love going after the expert. My guest today is what you'd call a professor of professors. Okay, he's been doing this longer than I can ever remember. He's got over 300 publications to his credit. He was uh, once a vice president of the Nigerian Society of International Affairs. He's a professor of international relations uh, at the Department of Political Science, University of Illinois. Also vice president of the Nigerian Political Science Association. He's an expert in African governance, conflict management and international relations. Trust me, there's a whole lot I could reel out, but then we would never really get the show started if we got into all of that. My guest is Professor Hassan A. Salio. So it's an honor to be seated across this table from you. And I do not take any of it for granted, Professor. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. All right, sir. Thank you so much for coming in. I thought about like our previous conversations, where to start. And I must confess and, you know, put myself out there to anyone who is listening right now. Whenever I sit down with Professor, we have this challenge of, okay, how do you build these conversations? Because there's so much experience to happen. And today we want to start off with discussing uh, the continent. Of course, Africa, when it comes to policies and all of that. I want to start off with this because it's one of the questions that gets people thinking. Africa and its policies, especially when you take a look at the continent. You've got Europe, you've got Asia, you've got uh, Africa in the mix amongst this continent. And you think about policies. Recently, Brexit has been in the news, the EU has been in the news, and it brings the questions once again, or begs the question once again, when it comes to Africa's relations with the rest of the world as we know it. Has there ever been one? Do we have an African policy? Has there ever been one? And where do we trace all of this from? I don't know how exactly to ask, but it's one question we've got to get into. Well, let me start by saying that we have never had one single Africa policy toward the rest of the world. Rather, we have in existence the African Union that is trying to promote integration on the African continent. As is succeeded, my answer is no, but certainly some efforts have been made in that direction. But as we speak, there is no one harmonized policy between Africa and the rest of the world. 
In other words, we have individual country policy towards the rest of the world. The individual policies are influenced by some factor. One of them is the colonial heritage. Who colonize you? What kind of relation do you still have with them? Another factor has to do with this drive for rapid economic development. Today, Africa country will try to meet and agree something. Tomorrow, you see them trafficking in different direction because they have different or multitude of economic interests and they are looking forward to the rest of the world to help them in achieving the economy objective. To that extent, it will be difficult mm. to have one common African policy toward the rest of the world. Even during the struggle against apartheid, mm. not all African countries could be counted during that struggle. Some countries were ambivalent, some other openly supported uh, the apartheid, while several other kick against the continued existence of apartheid. The history of Africa shows that it is the most penetrated continent in the world. Mm. The country that lag behind other continent, the continent that lag behind other continent in the world, the continent where statistics are really not moving up mm. in terms of growth and development. Yet, it is a continent with a lot of promise, with abundant resources. Mm. Despite the fact that other parts of the world are disappointed in Africa. None of them has been able to totally ignore Africa. And that has given birth to what you call the new scrabble for African uh, resources. Chinese, Indian, Brazil, everybody, they are coming mm. to come and tap into resources of Africa. Unfortunately, this giant nation in Africa is fast asleep. In fact, this area is also a theater for exploitation, quite unfortunately. Well, everyone from uh, Singaporeans to Japanese, you know, to other members of this continent, they seem to understand their limitations. And so, and some of them work hard to overcome some of these limitations. You mentioned a couple of things, you know, the colonial heritage factor. These are some things that some people have mentioned as being, uh, you know, a pull that has pulled us back from exploring and maximizing that potential. Well, Africans are still in the Africa has great potential stage. We've always been there. We don't seem to have moved beyond that far phase. And, and so they aren't, we don't seem to be working uh, towards limiting these obvious limitations. And, you know, right now our biggest export, some people feel, seems to be our expertise to other nations out there. I want to go back from where you started from. Is this a bad thing or did Africa join the race really late? Because we other nations, we've seen the EU work together. Right now there seems to be a lot of fracture in there and you know everybody seems to be going their own way but when we talk about take a look at regionalization as you have it is there a need because everybody seems to know what's good for the continent except us how much does this play a factor we've still having conversations about the free trade zone agreement amongst a couple of other things but how does this play out on the international stage well we must start by recognizing the fact that there is a world of difference between aspiration and reality. Mm. 
the thinking the Africans will ever come together to have a common policy and stuff like that. It's an aspiration. Okay. I allowed it. I support it. Mm. But you have to start from where you are before you move to where you want to be. The reality of the situation is that whether we like it or not, there's what you call new colonial relation between Africa countries and dominant Western power states. Indeed, definition of new colonialism is also has gone beyond the level of relationship between former colony and the former colonial master because mm. America never had any serious colony in Africa and still it's a new colonial state. At a point, America was playing the role of new colonial state in Egypt, even though America was not the one that colonized Egypt mm. in the first instance. So we do have new colonial relations. And if you extend definition, you find Chinese, you find Indians, you follow them coming here. So it's, if it's like a fatal land where everybody wants to come out first mm. without giving much into the continent. The, the blame for me, I would say, has to do with what Claude Ake of the Blessed Memory once said, that people talk about failure of development in Africa without recognizing that development has not even started in Africa. Oh. <laughs> okay. 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 Now, people are making a mistake. We haven't even started. We have not started. Why do you say that? Because that's controversial. <laughs> and those who are listening to this will say, why? Why? Um, I thought we had the African rising I, narrative. I've come in. I, I will give you the reason he has given that it will be difficult for anybody to brush aside. He said, development has now started in Africa because the basic infrastructure are not just there. What is the orientation of the African leaders? Are they even aware of the complexity of the that surround the existence of the continent? Are they really interested in accelerating the level of the development? Are they not aid seeker? Hmm? I'll give you an example. A few days ago, the US tried to place some restriction on issuance of visas to certain category of Nigerian traveler. Was it yesterday or two days ago? The Nigerian government slash reduce the money that American pay for Nigerian visa. Mm. The whole thing started in August when Nigeria increased it. America retaliated, but now Nigeria has reduced it. Upon that, the fact that they have placed restriction, we are not addressing that issue. What we have addressed to slash the amount that American pay on Nigerian visa. The question is, what is the meaning of that one? If you are doubting that development has started, that is to tell you it has not even started because we are looking up to the outside world to bring about development as if it's a Coca-Cola, as if it is a commodity that can just go to the market and buy. Yes, they can come to your head and assist you, but you have to do fulfill certain conditionalities. Are we even aware of the conditionalities? Have we fulfilled the conditionalities? These are questions to ask. If you go and do a public poll in Nigeria now, among Nigerian youth, you are likely to, you are not, you won't, don't be surprised if you get up to 30 or 35% of them saying that they want to go to America and be permanent resident there. Mm. If you go to other countries in Africa, you are likely to find the same situation. 
because African youth, African people have waited, waited for too long for things to be looking up. But instead of looking up, things are looking down. So to that extent, we are, who will bring the money? We say we are banned, uh, what do you call it? We have formulated a policy on visa uh, on arrival policy. Allowed it, I support it, it's a very good thing. It's a very good policy. But the question is, how many of those investors we are in, trying to will be impressed by that rhetorical gesture? What do you have on ground? Electricity? Good roads? What level of public corruption? What level of security? These are issues. So you are not likely to get genuine investor, but you get the kind of investors that will find Nigeria attractive. All right. Uh, again, this is the podcast series, Speak Africa. Uh, so much to talk about today. And uh, my guest is Professor Hassan Salu. And I, I still want to talk about uh, what he just said right now. And because it shows a certain number of thoughts which we've had arise, conversations which we've had arise on the continent recently, especially as it revolves around the Africa rising narrative, as we've seen it. Uh, the late uh, Tanzanian businessman, Ali uh, Mufuruki, Mafuruke, who's now late, uh, sadly, had a lot to say, you know, on this particular development. He spoke about who coined, exactly coined the African rising narrative. Is that uh, Africans or people from the outside? He says the African rising conversation is based on an unfair comparison of the economic growth of some African countries over the past 10, 15 years. And uh, when you compare this with other economies, take, for example, he said the fairies, he seemed to believe that the the closest economy you could actually um, compare Africa's rising, the African rising narrative with would be not even with another continent, but let's say China as a country. The whole of Africa may be averaging about 1.2 uh, or 1.6 billion, and then China itself having that same number. But when you take a look at the growth that has occurred, is it something commensurate with this? I want us to go on, Professor, with what you just said about, you know, having not started whatsoever. And you mentioned certain complexities as well. Africa being tribal, the homogeneous nature or not of some part. And I want to talk about the system of governments as we've seen practiced. And that's talking about democracy as a system of government and uh, you know authoritarian governments, which seem to be the, the norm with so many African countries. Let's talk about leadership as well. We'll talk about leadership. Let's start with the systems of government because these are things we compare with. The youngest, 20, young, 20 of the youngest democracies in the world are in Africa, with the exception of, let's say, Afghanistan, which was recently listed as well. Let's talk about, yes, Afghanistan. The world's youngest countries are all in Africa, with the forecast for 2020 showing just one non-African country, Afghanistan in the top 20. Let's talk about this, and does this have anything to do with let, the growth? Let me make this start with this opening statement. No system of government is inherently bad or good. Hmm. Let's depend on the operators. On the African continent, you have the presidential system. You also have parliamentary system. Though with some variations within the two. But we have been in democracy in Africa, at least after the third wave, what you call third wave, around 80 and 90s. 
and democracy can be said to be about three decades or four decades old in some part of Africa. If you look at the progress, you discover that in some countries, such as Nigeria, democracy is synonymous with more growth in poverty. Democracy is synonymous with joblessness. If you look at the figure of unemployment in 1999, when the 40-year-old started and compare with now we realize that a cloud okay, could not have been more right in his thinking. Some of our people in the university will say yes the social is so because we are practicing what they call liberal democracy at the expense of social democracy. Whether one wants to take the ideological line or not the truth of the matter is democracy has regressed in Africa. It has produced so many democratic deficits. To the extent, I think about some years back when I was looking at some paper, people wouldn't mind for the rejected old order to come back in some African countries mm. because they are totally disappointed. Mm. When democracy was being entrenched in the 80s and 90s, or returned to Africa in the 80s and 90s, I wrote a paper. And I cautioned in that paper, I think I wrote it around maybe 99 or so. And I cautioned that Africans that time, and I think up to now, fought for democracy not because of the so called freedoms. In the democratic back, freedom of speech, freedom of this one. Yes, Africa won freedom. But not so much about freedom, but about economic empowerment, about changing the conditions of their living. Our Democrat that time didn't listen to what I was saying that time. That don't make the mistake oh, that once you establish democracy, people go, no. They will start comparing their standard of living before the advent of democracy and now after the advent of democracy. As you speak now, Nigeria debt, I'm not castigating any government, I'm just talking about 20 years of democracy. Yeah. I think the level of indebtedness was. 30 billion or thereabouts. But now, the last figure I look at, talk about over 33 billion. Mm. Notwithstanding that the Wasajo government got their relief, and some African country, I think Ghana and some other country also got their relief. But like I did say around 2007 in a conference paper, I said, yes. We should thank our leader for getting their relief. Unfortunately, the foundation for accumulation of debt had not been addressed and accredited. Sooner or later, another round of their crisis will come up. Where are we now? <laughs> that a certain country in Africa is spending close to 60% of our national income or budget on debt service. How much will be left to take care of the need of people?
why majority of African people look at democracy as somebody that can change their condition for the better. Mm-hmm. Our leader has seen democracy in terms of creating convert zone, what I call convert zone, i.e. We, are, we are elected, we take care of ourselves and forget about the people. So how do you have the development? In other words, democracy is good, but the truth of the matter is that it has been creating problems for African countries. Why is that? Why is that? Because uh, I know it's a, it's a big question. You're probably looking at me like, okay, we're not <laughs> going to leave here. But um, one part believes, again, I just mentioned the fact that perhaps there's been more expectation when it comes to Africa, when we're discussing Africa, a little too much too soon. That's what one particular school holds, that we're expecting so much. You know, you talk about places like the U.S., they've had hundreds of years to, to practice this. That These are the arguments that are often put forward. I see Prof nodding his head. And uh, some people tell you that, uh, again, I just mentioned the fact that the youngest democracies are in Africa. 20 of the youngest democracies uh, are in Africa. You know, So aren't these factors, or is it the fact that these are things that are totally alien to us and that we've let systems of government that could work for us, we've let them be so demonized? Again, the homogeneous nature of a, of a country of these other democracies we tend to compare with. Take, for example, Nigeria, which we keep referring to, the different ethnic groups, the different ideologies, amongst a couple of other things. That's why I asked that question. Let me start by drawing attention to certain development in the 90s, when most African nations were struggling to reestablish democracy. The Western world or scholars that were sympathetic toward the West did a study of some countries and their ranking in the world. And they come up with the conclusion that more countries had become developed because of democracy. Why only few countries are developed on account of lack of democracy? They all did that in order to convince Africans mm. to embrace democracy. That democracy was and is capable of bringing about rapid development. So when you talk about expectation, I begin to wonder where are you coming from? We have one party system in Africa. We had uh, military rule in Africa. Africa rejected the two of them because they were worsening their condition. And they had to struggle. Some of them had to die. They had to demonstrate. They had to do all kinds of things. Look at Togo. Look at Benin Republic. Matthew Kereku. Eyadima of, of uh, Togo. Look at the way they resisted the struggle. Although Matthew Kereku later succeeded in coming back after being defeated by Suglu. But the man didn't want multi-partisan. So a lot of lives were lost. Look at Nigeria too. How many people were killed by the Bacha government because they were fighting for democracy? How many people were killed in Nigeria when they were trying to struggle for the revalidation of uh, June 12 election? So Africa had made great sacrifices. So I wouldn't blame them if they expect a lot from democracy. So having convinced them that you stand a chance of being developed if you embrace democracy, and they all embrace democracy 20 years after, 30 years after, people are beginning to compare their living condition now 
what it used to be. And the value they have passed is very clear. It's very clear. After the embrace of democracy, we began to experience, uh, what do you call it? Kidnapping on a wider scale. Began to experience uh, insecurity, insurgency, and stuff like that. With democracy demonstrating limited capacity to control this unhealthy development. So what do you expect people to do? Yes, I can talk. Fine. But what would that translate to when it comes to super? Will it translate to put something on the table for my family? Nothing. So democracy in Africa was and is still being looked at in terms of empowerment, economic development, improvement in their living condition, not necessarily freedom to write. How many of them can write in any case? How about human rights, sir? I once saw that um, that analogy and someone said, well, they're not, not putting out any other systems of government, but then says, uh, democracy as it stands seems to have done a better job than a whole lot of other ones. That's the argument, not my argument. Uh, uh, okay, please, let rights. me quickly address this issue of we have to, we have to spend, we ought to have spent 1,000 years before we start appeasing. The world has moved beyond that level. I repeat, the world has since moved beyond that level. In 1945, Japan was in ruin. 40 years after, Japan has emerged. So anybody thinking in terms of we had to spend 1,000 years, that person is living in the past. Mm. The world has moved beyond that level. Mm. Chinese used to be a third world nation. China used to be a third world nation. In the second largest economy. How many years have they, have, has that taken them to become what they are? So if you are talking about, don't worry, no, the world has moved beyond that level. Has moved beyond that level. Nigerian youth, Ghanaian youth, Kenya youth are moving out of the continent every day with the hope of enjoying better life in other parts of the world. And that is an indictment of leadership in Africa. So don't subscribe to this idea of uh, uh, we have to spend. No, 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 no. I reject that notion. Mm. Let's keep on nudging our leaders to do the right and be aware of the historical responsibility they have. The luxury that Baliwa had, the luxury that Sagari had, unfortunately, such luxury is no longer available to General um, mm. President Muhammad Wari. Mm. People expect him to increase the level of development. So what? Other people, what Nigeria could tolerate from other leaders, I want to say that they are not in the mood of tolerating something under the Buhari mm. government. So the government had to buck up and making sure that it meet the needs of the people. There's one other issue we raise now, freedom. Yes, uh, freedom. yes we appreciate that democratic purpose. order carry with it some measure of freedom. But you need to know, even in America, even in Britain, these freedom, freedoms are being curtailed. If you come to Ghana, you come to Nigeria, you go to Uganda, even in South Africa, there's no absolute freedom anywhere. Even the limited freedom that democracy guarantee is not being made a reality in Africa. People have been locked up 
with that. In spite and despite of this. So, so we are talking about freedom. For what end? Freedom is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. If I come to your studio and I grant you interview, I go back home. My children will ask me, Daddy, what do we for the night? They are not likely to ask me about how did the program go. And if they will do that at all, it will just be intro. <laughs> it's not the main thing. So in other words, our leaders will not say, after all, if you are not performing well, we have given freedom. Even that freedom, I'm telling you that it's not sufficient. It's cotton. There are many court orders that are not being obeyed by African leaders. The economy of women is not taking place. Some of them are taking loan, left, right, center. They are by not only mortgaging present, they are also mortgaging the future generation, the, uh, what the future generation will enjoy. So when you look at it, I would say that the story is not totally good. Thank God I'm writing a paper and for a book titled Democracy and the Development Question in Africa. I will try to do justice to of this yeah. issue we are discussing. So whether in South Africa, whether in Ghana, whether in Kenya, whether in Uganda, whether in Niger or Mali, the picture is not too uh, promising. We need to double our effort along the democratic path. Well, speaking about uh, that again, you mentioned leadership. Of course, uh, the, these are intertwined, you know, the system of government, you know, policies amongst a couple of other things and what have you. We've also spoken about, you know, regionalization like some people will have it. That's why we started from that aspect of what exactly does the continent need? Uh, does Africa have a leadership challenge? Because every time we talk about all oh, these myriads of challenges we've discussed, then we go on to, oh, it's a leadership problem. You, well, is it as simple as that? Will you you see, at... you cannot talk about leadership in isolation. Yeah. Le leadership optimizes the character of a society or represents what the larger society stands for. Uh, before we appraise leadership correctly, we have to look at the leader processes of leadership recruitment vis-a-vis -vis a political party, how do they put forward people as candidates for their party? How do they how have from nation Africa, Africa conducted their national elections? Mm. There are gaps at the two levels. Mm. In most African countries, the real, the true democratic process is not being allowed. We have leaders who want to pick candidates for the party. And as long as the process of leadership recruitment is distorted, highly will you get it right. The end result is that the leaders will be pulling one direction while the generality of people will be different, pulling different directions. And for the element to be eroded, there has to be collaboration, there has to be the understanding and willingness to go along the same path. You cannot talk about development when the leaders are pulling one direction and the people are pulling another direction. The generality of people in Africa believe their leaders are not serving them. The Western world too believe that African leaders are highly responsible. 
you, you, you just pointed something out, and again, I, I, I hope we, we delve into that. We can't talk about leadership without talking about the processes under a supposed democracy. And now we've spoken about the failures of democracy, but then it's traceable to, okay, do you embrace even the term democracy in its full term? In terms of this is what a democracy is supposed to be, uh, the process of electing those leaders, the party systems, and all of that. And is that peculiar to Africa alone? Uh, you see, I've told you, or uh, I will tell you, democracy has its cultural content. Oh. That's why the democratic order in France, if it are too presidential, is different from what we have in America. Oh. The presidential system in Nigeria is different from the presidential system in South Africa. Oh. <laughs> what that means that we cannot have, as Julius really will see, one brand of Coca-Cola everywhere. <laughs> That's why they were talking about African democracy yeah. in the past, all the things like So the issue is democracy varies from one country to the other, but it does have its minimal requirements, which irrespective of the type you are practicing, you must meet. Unfortunately, African leaders are seeing democracy in terms of enablement. That's what I wrote in one of my paper, my last paper now. What I mean by enablement, democracy has some privileges, some rights, and some sanctions. But African leaders are only interested in privileges. Somehow, Limitedly concerned about rights, but utterly opposed to sanction. That's why we have impeachment. That's why you have foot of no confidence. Mm. That's why, why you have resignation. Mm. This that's why we have dismissal. Mm. These are sanction. That we violate the law. Well, how many of our leaders are conversant with the law? How many of our leaders are really ready to accept the restraint? The gospel of restraint that democracy is preaching. By the time somebody has violated the law, you see strapper people coming around, it's because it's our turn. That's why they are fighting and stuff like that, which is begging the question. The truth of the matter is democracy is a cultural con uh, concept. Some people will not want to agree, but I will tell you that it's a, it has its own cultural content. Some of the things we do with regard to our democratic practice in Nigeria, may not be acceptable in America. Mm. Some of the things they do in America may not be acceptable to Nigeria. Mm. Like a president having an inappropriate relationship with a lady that people in America almost got Clinton impeached. In Nigeria here or in Africa, I mean, it's not a celebrated case. <laughs> it's a terrible waste of time to say you want to try a president because he has an inappropriate relationship. I'm not saying there's no morality, no, but, but I'm but saying... You're right, you're absolutely right. <laughs> this is a conversation that we don't get to look at it that way. It's more like we wonder... Ah, no, it's not, it's not. Of course, morality uh, and uh, so, no, no, issues with no, no. In Africa, our leader have violated the law several times, but none of them, most of them have not been impeached. Have not been impeached. There's a strong morality serving as a base or basis for what they do in America. In Nigeria here, 
we see as part of our culture. What about if the man want to marry her, the second wife? After an African man is entitled to marry money, but what's your problem? How many African ladies at that point in time will have been prepared to come out to expose what happened? I'm not talking about now. Mm. How many of them? So we must understand that democracy has some cultural variation or coloration, which you must accept. And that's why Yuri spent all his time warning Africa about democracy that, look, Western world stop preaching democracy to us as if you can have one brand everywhere, like Coca-Cola or like Panadol. No. Our democracy must respect the cultural system of people. He even cited an example, I think when he was talking about uh, socialism and stuff like that. That in Africa, when a man visits you, the first day, the second day, third day, he will be the one to ask you, give me who, let me follow you to the farm. You will not want to keep waiting there. That when a man visits you, you have, you have fed him today, fed him tomorrow, the third day, the man will want to participate in what you do to generate, to generate income. So that is our own African tradition. Unfortunately for us, why the Allah of Oyo at a conference organized in 2005 shocked the audience at the African Hall University of Oyo when he said that democracy had been a system in Oyo Empire before modern democracy came, before the Western world even embraced democracy. He started the example of the relation between Oyo Messi and Allah as reflecting uh, check and balance, which is the hallmark of democratic uh, system. People can explore that further. But what I'm just telling you is that the democratic system we are practicing look foreign to us. We have not done much assimilation. We have not done much to make it reflect our peculiarity to reflect our own peculiarity. In France, who have a presidential system that is different from America, why can't we have our own system that is peculiar to us? Our researcher, our intellectual need to do more work. While that is going on, our leader must know that they need to watch their behavior. They need to move closer to the people. You don't ask people to tighten their beds every day. At a point, they will tighten the bed and there will be nothing there to tie to hold the bed. As people are tightening their bed, watch your action. Formulate policy that will not only bring development about development tomorrow, but that have long time implications. But our leaders are quick fixers. What they will do today and get result tomorrow. But national development until you get seen far beyond tomorrow. But I know many of our leaders are in that mood of guessing far beyond tomorrow. Even today, between now and tomorrow, people don't even know what to happen. What they after is what is happening now. I think we need to start looking at leadership recruitment. We need to pay attention to the actual practice of democracy. We need to increase our vigilance. Otherwise, I argue somewhere not too long ago, that ordinarily African Democrats will not do the good, be expected of them. 
unless they are close mon closely monitored and not to do the right thing. That's the tragedy of African democracy. Hmm. As Bola Jablai was started an auto last year. Is it last year, 2018, when he said that there is what you call a wisdom in governance. That what is that? A minister, former minister. What is, is that? Like, eh? What is that? I was asking on wisdom in uh, what you just said. I will explain. Please go. What he says is that what is so clear to people, you see people in government not understanding it. What is so clear? What is so clear that it's not difficult at all? But you see people in government struggling to understand. That's what he meant by insert an auto yes. on wisdom and governance. That's what the the title of the book is of wisdom something. He cited it and he, he convinced everybody. Why would a government that campaign won election in May 2011 by January of 2012, the government had squandered all the goodwill by bringing about an unpopular policy. Hmm. Meaning that people made a mistake in voting Jonathan in 2011. By five months or six months after, he has succeeded in squandering. And that's what continued until he was defeated in 2015. You have to, a certain thing you have to do. You have to prepare the mind of people. Now, the, some people are complaining about visa on arrival policy because it was dictatorially introduced, no discussion in the parliament, not for God's sake. Why didn't people do the needful? Hmm? So these are signs of wisdom in governance. I want to talk about the place of, because again, when we talk about leadership on the continent, we someone says we focus so much on leadership and we forget the followership. I think it's an interesting topic to take a look at. But let's talk about the institutions. You mm. know, in Africa, it's been said that we have weak institutions, mm. the judiciary, constitution, mm. civil societies. Uh. Uh, and when societies have strong institutions, the difference that one good leader can make is limited because you have it on people. You have checks and balances. Let's talk about the place of institutions on the continent as well. Let me quickly respond to leadership, followership team. I belong to the school of thought that believe that a lot of what the masses do are derived from the body language of the leaders. Why is everybody not a leader? You are a leader because believe you possess certain attributes that will make you to make a difference, not to amass weight. So I would say that if you play followership on the scale, and I will tell you, I will blame more the leaders. Because it's your body language that people are looking into. If you bribe them to win an election, it's normal that they will ask for further gratification after winning the election. You can't just suddenly abandon them. So you need to promise what you can actually deliver. A man who used stomach infrastructure to win an election certainly will use stomach the same platform to sustain itself in power. If you look at all the theories 
of revolution. There is a lot of emphasis on leadership. The masses of people, they are said, even the Marxian theory, said they are confused, they are bothered about religion, about travel, blah, 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 blah. That is only the leader that can organize them to make them, to turn them to an asset. To that extent, leadership has more blame than the followership. If tomorrow the governor of Kwara State said nobody should go out by 7 o'clock, we all spin house. So if you can make a law that will be, it means that you can also direct the direction of things. You can also point in the direction of things that you want so that everybody will follow. That's why they say leader, you lead, others follow. But you cannot turn around when you cannot turn things around for the better and start blaming the mass. I'm not saying followership have no, have, have no blame. I'm saying that if you place them side by side, the masses are confused. So the leader needs to point the light. And I use revolutionary theory to back up my claim. In theory, they have not said people should lead. They are saying that it's a category of people should lead. Train the masses, educate them, give them enlightenment. They are not saying people should lead the leader. They are saying the leader should lead the people. Now, your question about. Uh, yes. You see, there are some structuralists who believe that you cannot actually appraise democracy without talking about institutions. In other words, some people have divided democracy in terms of the available institutions, the actual working and the power they have. And I think I agree, because democracy, governance, they are all structural issues. They are all structural issues. Unfortunately, our leaders in Africa or Nigeria don't appreciate that. It is not in the container, it's the contemplation of democracy or governance. The one person will be the law, will be implementing the law, will be the one to formulate the law, will be the one interpreting the law. It's not in their contemplation. That's why they say the executive, the legislature, and legislature. So that where one is going wrong, the other can call it to order. But as we all know, African leaders don't want any restraint. They don't want anything that would restrain them. They always want to have their way, whether they are wrong or right. So we cannot have democracy without independent institutions working according to the law that established them. One man can constitute democracy. One man can constitute governance. It's the institutions. So once you remove the institutions, there will be no democracy. That is why this man had to resign in South Africa, Jacob Suma, because the institution of the state found him guilty of using public funds for personal. So, and what the end result was that he had to resign. He had to resign. In uh, America, some institution found uh, Donald Trump guilty, therefore they impeach him. But another institution has set him free. So that democracy in action. Without the assistance of another institution, probably the man will have been removed from office. Mm. So the beauty of democracy is that it has institutions that have been created by law and nobody should impede them 
in Canada, they assign rules. But when you come to Africa, you see the president, you see the speaker, you see this one, try to muscle other agency or government using their position, obstructing them from working for the benefit of the society. Once you don't have democratic institutions, you are not likely, you are not even likely, you are not operating democracy. I, I want to ask this because we're gradually drawing to a close. Um, is there, are there African nations that are getting this right? Uh, we is have. There, uh, sometimes does it fluctuate? Does it change? We, we have some sunny examples. Right. We have sunny examples. For example, we have some countries whose electoral processes have been adjourned to be better. Like? Uh, I think Botswana also. Botswana? Mm. Mm. They have some of them that have been... Even Ghana is not terribly rated, that are struggling to come up. Nigeria also is joining the, the club. On the whole, democracy has a good future, but currently it's not working in Africa. We have glimpses, we have splashes of, flashes of some of them coming up. But the truth of the matter is that we're having issues. I think Guinea, somebody's trying to change the constitution. In Uganda, the man has stayed there for so many years and stuff like that. So you can see that democracy is coming up, but it has a lot of challenges. In some other country, you have Gagwantua issue of insecurity, lives and property are not safe. So, what do you do about that? Hmm. I think it's Lesotho. I think let me call it. I think it's Lesotho. One of the countries in Southern Africa okay. is being presented. Is it Botswana? I forgot the actual competition. It's in Southern Africa there. Hmm. That this president was one of the people that came to monitor election in Nigeria. He monitor the last election. Yeah. One of the country there. I forgot the country now. Uh, countries. Right. Uh, countries that come Malawi, Botswana. Yeah, no, know, no, no Malawi. It's Southern, oh. Southern African Republic. Uh, right. Maybe before we close, I remember the actual country. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, again, it's one conversation happened. I know it's not the, the thing about policies, and when you take a look at Africa, is again the uh, wanting to avoid a situation when you put it all together. But we seem to have so much that binds us together. We keep saying Africa is not a country, it's not a country, but then there's so many things that kind of put us in that box together, whether it's governance, security, amongst a couple of other things. And so the child you mentioned, and I want us to, uh, to hear your thoughts on that even as we wrap up. You mentioned the fact that Africa's got so much potentials. There's so many people, we don't seem to believe, uh, a lot of people don't seem to believe in it because of the brain drain that we see, talent drain that seems to occur right now but everyone's trying to get a bite. And it, it's like, uh, you know, the balkanization happening again, people coming in for what they want, but in a not more subtle way, because we, our leaders are, mm. and people are more like signing that Scrabbling. out. Scrabbling. Scrabble mm. for Africa again. Mm. China's getting a huge chunk of it, the States, France, uh, and we have this so many summits. Between last year, September, and now we've had over five summits. The British, Britain, uh, UK. Africa, UK Africa Summit, 
you know, the U.S.-Africa summit and Russia-Africa summit. And everybody seems to want something from this, which tells us that there's perhaps something that they seem to say. And I'm being curious about what exactly that is. Resources, yes, certainly. But what's in it for the people? Uh, you see, no person will invest in an industry or a farm and want the investment not to be bringing returns. Our leaders value to be invited to UK, to China, to other parts of the world by the so-called world leaders. So most times they don't even understand the mission of these international do-gooders. Upon being invited, they jump into their next available flight and go in there. I know people who are wary of too much of Chinese presence in, in Africa. But who are the people formulating the policy? Our leaders. And our leaders are always fast to intellectual approach. They always want to see themselves in the mirror and act accordingly. Unfortunately, development is not something only they can bring about. They need certain certain level of legitimacy. They need certain level of support from the people for them to. But across Africa, you see, you see what they call a gap, or what you call a high level of disconnect between the people and those in governmental positions. And unless that is bridged. We cannot start the process of development. I think that's the whole thing, the main, the import of what Claude Eke has said, that when the people are not working together with the government, how do you bring them about? We are basic team in the area of infrastructure are not there. How do you develop? So what I'm saying essentially, yes, you talk about regionalism, talk about this, fine. But the issue is, we have so much, we have so much divided that even se several decades, some decades after the time of dependence, not much is being done to bring us together. Mm. See what happened with regard to eco currency. We may not like France. We may not like uh, the French policy of assimilation pursuing the past. But how come a currency that was being proposed by ECOWAS mm -hmm. suddenly got hijacked in court and being turned to a veritable instrument by France? I hope you are aware of the reaction of our global country. Mm -hmm. They have come about to kick against the idea. So if ECOWAS was from 75 in 2020, we are still seeing a group of global countries coming up to berate the effort of France. That's to tell you about how much we have traveled along the integration line, lane. That's to tell you. So meaning that, I'm in support of integration, but I'm saying that people should stop paying leave service. If you talk about integration and you are still imposing tariff, 
you are still banning certain products coming to your country. In what way will that promote the so-called integration? I think our leader needs to be made to properly appreciate what their role has, what kind of privileges available, and what are other restraints, what are the restraints they must constantly bear in mind. Hello, thank you very much uh, for giving me your time. It's funny how one hour flies by. I still feel like I have one million whole questions, but then again, it's one hour is never enough and one day is never enough. Professor Hassan A. Salu is an expert on African governance, uh, conflict management and international relations. I explained it several times. He's worn several hats and several caps, so numerous to be mentioned, uh, with over 300 publications to his credit. Uh, one-time Vice President of the Nigerian Society of International Affairs and also Vice President Nigerian Political Science Association. Uh, at the moment, he works at the Department of Political Science, University of Illinois. Sir, I thank you so much for giving me your time oh, today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the privilege. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Baba Tunde Oklola and uh, well, again, next week we're bringing in another expert or having a different conversation. You never know. Again, you can also check up www.converseafrica.com for more uploads and more resources about the continent, thoughts and conversations that we need to have as a people. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.